You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you haven't heard yet, uh, this is me telling you, you need to take a look at the new boots from Lacrosse, and they fall under the Navigator series. Now, what they've done is they've taken the best parts of a rubber boot and the best parts of your traditional hiking and hunting boot, and they've mashed them together to come up with this new line of boots from lacrosse, and that is the Navigator Series. Now, they have the women's windrows, they have the men's windrows, and then they have the Atlas the Atlas series within that as well. So go to lacrossefootwear.com and check out this new line of boots that they have. I've been using mine for a couple weeks now, and I am very impressed with the the fit and the feel, and I can't wait to get them in the woods this hunting season and uh, give them a trial run. So lacrossefootwear.com, check them out. Hey, guys, welcome to Land and Legacy Podcast. This is your host, Adam Keith. We're co-owners of a consulting company called, go figure, Land and Legacy. This is your number one podcast resource for all things land. Each week we're breaking down topics from land management, habitat management, conservation, farming practices, and real estate. We hope you guys enjoy it. back guys another land legs podcast host adam keith matt die is here as well man we're ready for this podcast that's right we got a good one yeah and I we're think. gonna take a little bit of a we'll find turn out. um i think because a lot of people um that listen to this podcast aren't just hunters uh, totally if, if you were to pull uh our our audience or listenership you'd probably find that a lot of guys are here not for our hunting tactics but for our land management tactics. So even though we are in the middle of uh, Missouri archery season, a lot of other, this will this will drop, I guess, in the first, October. The first of October. So right? yep. by then, a lot of states will, um, a lot of states will be opening up or have opened up by then. Um, we're going to take a little bit of a turn because of the time of the year, yep. um, and it's weighing on a lot of guys' brains. 
Um, we've had this question. I had this question yesterday at our QDMA cooperative uh, event in Kirksville, Missouri, um, asking about cattle wildlife properties. Properties that have cows, that's what pays for the farm, that's why they own the ground, but they also enjoy hunting. And when you have that, you have a whole new set of obstacles. But at the same time, you have the ability to um, to have uh, income pr- produced off the farm, food produced off the farm from an outside, from not just wild game, but also for uh, beef, from livestock, yeah, from livestock, and um, and so finding ways to have benefits to both is a big part of what we do. It's a big part of our background. We both were raised around cattle farms and we get asked all the time, can it be done? And I think back to the podcast we did with Dan Johnson over on nine finger, uh, Chronicles when he asked us to describe our ideal farm. And I think he probably was very shocked when we said, I know I said that I yeah. wanted cows to be on that farm yep. as a management tool, not just as income produ- uh, produced, and if you're looking at the management tool side of it, go and listen to the podcast with Kyle Hedges talking about the quail research um, and how using cattle uh, in a rotational setup um, benefited the quail better than not grazing, basically. And uh, because of the, the rankness and thickness of the grass and vegetation, especially Eastern United States. There's a, there's a lot of people who have had experiences with cattle farms that basically are, let's say, mismanaged. And so their experiences have skewed the mindset of the benefits that cattle on the landscape, on farms, working farms that are managed appropriately, the benefits that it can have. And so with that mismanagement that a lot of people have experienced, it often leads to this conflict of wildlife and cattle. And so we are here from our experiences to say, hey, listen, let's just take a few steps back. Let's understand both systems and understand how we can find that happy middle ground. And we've talked you know, in past podcasts about general topics, but not really just devoted one to pasture management and how you can improve pastures and hay ground for wildlife and this is i guess for a warn this is just scratching the surface oh yeah for sure of pastures and how to make them more wildlife friendly more uh focus on soil health the whole ecosystem the whole holistic mindset of looking at a pasture and saying how can i make this more beneficial um not only to the wildlife but for the uh cattle as well oh yeah you, diversity is a is a hugely important thing especially in getting through tough situations whether that be drought whether that be lots of rain um some of the best let's just say that some of the best cattle farms that we know have been on um have experiences with they weather the storms whether it is intense rainfall intense snow or drought-like conditions, they manage those situations, the tough times where a lot of people throw in the towel or just resort, resort to feeding hay in pastures during those stress periods. They do that, and they can do that, and fare very well 
because of the diverseness of those pastures and the forages that are in there. It's not just a solo grass or a base of, let's just say, fescue or smooth brome or orchard grass. That's not just the one forage that they're relying on to make the income to feed the cattle. It's no different from wildlife, but we talk about all the time that you guys hear us talk about diversity within your property to offer all these different things. Same thing with cattle, but that diversity with cattle, there's a lot of overlapping, say, forages and benefits that, again, benefit the the wildlife side of things too. Absolutely. Think back to uh, my family farm. This year we've had, uh, we had a pretty wet summer. Yeah. More, uh, we had more rainfall than average. Uh, it got dry in August, and it's been dry ever since. And we have a f- the front hayfield, and um, we've talked a lot about hay in the past. But this is let's just focus on improving hay ground, whether it's good or not, or long term. Hay's there, hay pasture, and or, uh, we're trying to make this better. What has my dad done over the last few years to? Uh, to that area is whenever he cuts the they cut the hay and then there's bales that are there and they set for till he gets them hauled off so a few days maybe a week or so and you get those bare spots he throw he's been throwing in red clover mm-hmm. well now there's an overabundance of red clover or not overabundance oh, there's a, a very, very abundant yeah. amount of red clover in the front hayfield and this summer there's not a lot of acor- acorns on the ground yet um, it got pretty dry. The food plots were providing food, but not in because there's not a lot of big destination food plots on the farm, so they're kind of just little transition plots. Um, we ju- we would see multiple deer every night, we saw right at sunset. One there of was the key that key bachelor groups that we yep. that we had our eyes on. Lots of does and fawns, but that that goes to show right there from a diversity standpoint. That's just one additional forage in the that's uh, a fescue and orchard grass pasture yeah there's not a whole lot of diversity in it no but it goes to show during midsummer when you add something like red clover which is a which is peaking in june july and even later when you have the adequate rains my gosh what it provides and it provided the wildlife a huge benefit and this is coming let's say off the heels and i want to just focus here on missouri because there's this this uh wildlife livestock, let's say, conflict that doesn't need to be a conflict, but it's present everywhere we go. Every state that we're in, you know, you have to, we run into these, let's say, uh, discussions and issues. But Missouri, for instance, I believe it was, just just using this because the numbers are fresh, but 88% of Missouri's land is privately owned. And on top of that, there's the last, I think, number I saw was 17 million acres in Missouri of tall fescue. And so how much of the landscape and privately managed land is dominated by cattle? I think we're the third largest cattle producing state in the country. And it's like, if we want to make the state and make a large impact across the state to to our wildlife, not just deer, but turkey, to rabbits, to quail, all these different things, we've got to look at big land masses I'm looking, that we're going to I'm looking now because I was thinking we were somewhere a little bit lower. This is saying that we're fifth, sixth, but I'm sure that can change. This, this shows Texas, Nebraska, Kansas, California, and Oklahoma ahead of us. Ahead of us. So sixth. 
We're, yeah. Let's just say we're around the top five-ish cattle-producing states. Well, and we know based on listenership that we have a lot of guys in Oklahoma and Kansas <laughs> and Nebraska and Texas that oh, listen. Yeah. So Eight they ton. can relate to this as well. For sure. Uh, and, and, you know, it's important to note, like, we encourage our landowners to find ways to make money off the farm. That's a big yeah. part of our business of going, how can you help pay for the farm rather than making it completely recreational, paying everything out of pocket. That's and put, we've, that puts stress on families and the land itself. And so cattle is a big one, if used correctly, can be not only beneficial to the landscape, but beneficial in, from a financial gain. Yes. And so it's important... If you are looking to add cattle to the farm or improve the cattle operation on your farm, to to be aware of things you can do to make it more wildlife friendly. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. It, it, again, it goes back to that uh, happy medium between the two of them. And I, I think it's important to start out with just a simple base. And, and hopefully everyone who's who listens to the podcast, we've thrown it out uh, enough Um but just the, the definition of cool season, perennial grasses, and given some examples. These are grasses, a lot of them that are presently used are non-native, um, and they're mat-forming grasses typically. Turf, yeah. Turf-forming grasses, so they are very dominant when planted, and obviously their peaked times are during the cooler seasons of the year. So let's say tall fescue, smooth brome, <laughs> Orchard grass, Timothy. There's some variances in those peaks of those forages, but those are examples of cool season perennial, perennial grasses. Did you say ryegrass? I did not say per, perennial ryegrass, okay. but that's another one. Yeah, um, those are kind of like that's the, a key one though too. The big five. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Kentucky bluegrass is another pretty big one, um, but all that being said, they are they're peaking from you know much of their cl- climate where they're produced at March through early June and then they're peaking again from September October potentially beginning of November yeah and here in Missouri November they're phenomenal oh, especially yeah. tall fescue and orchard grass yep um, and so those are the most popular non-native cool season pasture grasses or hay hay ground grasses. Everyone has probably had experiences with those. Yeah. So, but they got here basically because things were mismanaged in the first place, truthfully, yeah. and they needed these types of grasses to fill voids in the grazing, the management, to extend grazing seasons, and to improve the number of livestock or animal units on properties yeah because with those grasses specifically tall fescue is you can graze it hard and it comes back yes very hard it's a very resilient grass you can hay it you can graze it you can beat it into the dirt and it comes back so it's a very forgiving like a very loyal dog you can beat it and beat it and beat it it just keeps coming back not that you've ever done that no absolutely not yeah so uh um quick joke do you know what true love is man never mind i'm not going to tell that joke <laughs> we don't need any more emails after <laughs> jokes from adam <laughs> um oh, so that those that's a quick little definition and examples of cool season perennial grasses that you find in in common pastures um and what you also find in pastures is is an additional legume that's added and and typically it's you're pretty simple White white clover, yeah. 
white clover in one of these grasses. So a broadleaf and a grass added to a pasture and call it good. Get the animal units on there, graze it, hay it, whatever, and you walk Reseed away. Reseed it again in the fall with yeah. some more uh, Beef it up. clover. So, and, and all that sounds good, and, and without a doubt, I, I can't tell you how many deer I've shot foraging in pastures in my lifetime just because so much of my childhood was brought up on and not cattle it's important to note not eating tall fescue exactly that was the point i was going into is like the reason they were in pastures is because of the legume that was added or present there not because of the the grass component if deer are eating and foraging on fescue or these other um perennial cool season grasses that we just mentioned that's not a good thing and just because they're in those pastures again doesn't mean that is the forage they are selecting to eat. They're a concentrate selector, so they're eating the fresh, the tender, the ends on clover, most likely. Or these other forages that we can we can add into. But white clover, red clover, like you mentioned, yeah. and then alfalfa, birchfoot trefoil, um, some lespedezas. Are other certainly not Cerisa. Yes, it's it's important to note too. Um, I would I would encourage every one of our listeners, if you haven't already, download an app or get a ID book. Uh, the iNaturalist app is a really good one to ID what if you don't know what kind of grasses your grandpa has in one of his pastures or this area yeah. that you're focusing in on after listening to this podcast know for certain what you have because totally. if you have tall fescue or tall fescue tall fescue has an allopathic tendency so like uh, as we get into this certain certain species aren't going to do well in a tall fescue pasture overseeding yes for instance like some of your fall annuals but your perennials would do great your clovers <clears throat> Yes. Um, chicories, things like that. Especially things that fill the void between the cool season peaks like we talked about. If you have additional forages, legume forages in these pastures that are peaking during the June to through August time frame, now you've really maximized your potential within that pasture. And that's what you just talked about from your story there, Adam, was hey, we've started seeing a lot of red clover popping up. What time frame did we see that, that red clover pop? And what time frame were we seeing deer actively foraging a lot in that front hayfield? Well, that was during the peak window for those added legumes and not the cool season grasses. So you took acres that were just dominated by cool season grasses in a lot of places across the entire country, and you've understood that let's say growing cycle of the cool season grass and extended the opportunities for beyond livestock and said okay during these months because of these forages i'm adding i'm going to improve the effectiveness or the carrying capacity of this property during the summer by adding things like white clover red clover alfalfa the chicory into these systems We've seen a humongous peak, just the revival blend itself, honestly, from Stratton. Mm. The reason we put all those forages right there together is because each one hit a different peak. And it's funny, like, okay, that, that white clover, typically, that's not a great summertime. It's more of a cool season, kind of mimics. It does really good in May and June, April, May, June. Yes. Not so great in July and August. Not great, really, at all. But it's uh, funny that, okay, in most common pastures, 
what do you find? You find that cool season grass and that white clover component, and they're two forages that have like the exact same peaks, and you cut it once, and then you get hot, dry weather, and then that all those acres are just sitting there pretty much idle and not growing that much unless you're getting rains and cooler temperatures yeah. to make those pastures and those packs the growing season, the peak of when you should have the most opportunity and forage capabilities on a farm for both livestock and for wildlife. You've got two grasses or two two vegetation types that are not doing jack squat out there. And that, no. that, that, that doesn't make sense to me from, no. from a productiveness of the land. If you're just focusing on cattle, why do you do that? And it, it's just like, as much as people by now know we love native grasses, love native plants in general, but let's just say, I think when we did our plant animal profile, some, our, our top picks, you picked gamma grass. Eastern, Eastern gamma Eastern grass. Gamma grass. Yep. Eastern gamma grass is a phenomenal native warm season grass. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a peak, not like a lot of the other really popular ones right right um and we could say yeah we love eastern gamma grass but we don't love it so much that we're going to go plant an entire field of it no because we would sit and watch it has its peak phenomenal its peaking in may and june and then we would sit there in and july and august and, and be like right over where the heck did that go <laughs> yeah, and sure. uh and and then especially when you get in the cool seasons later in the fall and winter we'd be going man we planted that, and we devoted everything. We put all of our eggs, in, a eggs in one basket, and we're doing that same thing when we plant a monoculture of any species, for that matter. Yeah. But specifically in hay pastures or grazing pastures, um, we're looking to get peaks. What we're, what we're trying to do is get a peaking plant or multiple plants peaking throughout, throughout the entire growing season. And that's why it's important to, again, identify what grasses and components are part of these fields and knowing when they peak and when they don't peak. And if you have these gaps, it's just, again, it goes back to identifying when we go to a property, Adam, we're going out there, we're consulting, we're evaluating the landscape, evaluating what vegetation types are there. And what we're trying to identify is basically the weakest times of the year that this property is is performing or not performing or living up to what it needs to be to carry oh, sure. the deer. So yeah. you as a landowner or or as a hunter, maybe you're in a lease situation where you uh, you can't really do anything to the pasture. You can't spray them out. You can't add old field. You can't add food plots. But what you can do is go into these uh, pastures and hay fields and identify what's the weak spot. What time frame is this, is this cattle farmer missing and, and, by this podcast, now you're understanding that there's other forages that can be added that will, yes, help extend the haying opportunities, the forage opportunities from cattle, but directly benefit wildlife as well by adding alfalfa, by adding red clover. Possibly, if you need to bump up the density or concentration of uh, clover, white clover, into the fields. Yeah, we haven't even gotten to the annual situation though either. Or that you can add to, or even talk about down south the the difference of a lot of their pastures are warm season, straight warm season, no cool uh, season, and yeah. even Oklahoma uh, or Kansas, we can talk about warm season pastures of Bermuda grass, mm-hmm. bahia um, grass, another one, bahia grass, Bermuda grass, Johnson grass. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think if there's any other that come to mind. I think that's kind of the big three that you really see a you lot see of. Up. Um, and all three of those are going to be 
too doggone thick and and uh, gets really tough to especially like well bermuda especially bermuda is is very tough um so aggressive but grass here's what i'm gonna say bermuda grass is one of those that turns off pretty stinking early in the fall Mm -hmm. you see bermuda grass on a lot of golf courses a lot of baseball fields and even before that real hard you don't frost, have to get a hard frost at all it's already no. turning exactly and the great thing and I, we offered this advice to a, a listener last year that had a pasture down south of bermuda grass and he was looking to add some sort of benefit to the wildlife so he got approval i think from his grandpa or his dad and he overseeded some cool season annuals um, he didn't do perennials because they were scared that it was going to, to be competitive, competitive, right. and it was going to outcompete the Bermuda. So he put in uh, crimson clover and like wheat and oats, I believe. Mm-hmm. And what they just found, like a broadcast situation, broadcast into the dormant Bermuda, into dormant Bermuda. Okay, and it turned into a phenomenal food plot, mm-hmm. and they were able to get another cutting off that but instead of cutting bermuda which they, they would cut, have been delayed they would have been the waiting year. for it to start growing in the warm season mm-hmm. and growing and then cut it they cut early and cut that cover uh, crop basically. cover crop and were able to get additional forage uh, for the cattle as well as all forage long or all fall long fall and winter uh forage for the wildlife so that's the importance of understanding what in the world first off is growing in the pastures, what peaks does it have, and how can I supplement and carry this through? Because we've, we've covered in another podcast more talking about, you know, stratton mixes and, and what's in there. But what we've covered is the peak windows for all those additional forage, these fall annuals and the roles that they play. Because when you're looking at, like, the grasses, the wheat, the oat, the triticale, the cereal rye, if you're adding those components into a pasture – like a warm season pasture down south, like you just mentioned there in Bermuda, you've got growing conditions down to 35, 36 degrees or so soil temperatures where it can germinate and still continue to grow. And that's a really low soil temperature for southern states. So you've just maximized the amount of or the ability for those acres to be totally productive from both yet a wildlife standpoint and a livestock standpoint. It's incredible to take, okay, productiveness from a cattle standpoint or livestock standpoint of the farm operation and say, really, we're peaking out at nine months out of the year, this farm is growing something that cattle are eating. Those other three months, we're feeding hay, we're supplementing with something else. But what you can do as a hunter and come to the right appropriate landowner with the right information and say, Actually, let's take this on into a 11, 12-month operation. We can do it by doing this. And then now you're also increasing the opportunity to either cut silage on that cover crop, the food plot, whatever you want to call graze it. Graze it during the Gra- winter. Graze it during the winter time, um, or cut it for hay and bale it for uh, baleage. Whatever you want to do, there's those opportunities. So i got another friend that um, has a, a multi-use property, cattle and wildlife. And he planted, last year, he planted the Stratton Legacy Blend. Mm-hmm. I think he grazed it two or three times. Uh, he grazed this was it. the Cattleman's Treasure, correct? No, Legacy. This was the Legacy, Legacy. Blend. Legacy, yep. okay. Um, 
he grazed it multiple times. Now, the Cattleman's Treasure is more heavy on the grass, the cereal mm-hmm. grains, to try and have that ability to really put some tonnage on the ground and tonnage in the, uh, out for the cattle. But he grazed it a couple of times, um, late fall, early winter, then again late winter, and then again in the spring. Mm. Um grazed it and every time it was just for a short period you know send them on Quick they move through whatever it's I, I don't know how many uh how many animal units they were running per yeah. acre there but um it was definitely it was, he ran his whole herd on it and then he turned around and he said when the cows weren't there the deer were and the other wildlife sure. were sure and uh and then he turned around and he planted the heritage blend mm-hmm. um he did add some sorghum sedan just to get that very popular summer grazing mm-hmm. of an annual out from, there from the livestock standpoint yes yep and uh and grazed it so where now he's got this area that's basically a big food plot that gets the cattle through it a couple of times but doesn't they don't completely eat everything and then uh so he's getting a benefit really oh, free huge. fertilizer yep he's getting to fatten up his cows yep and he's getting to feed the wildlife shoot some deer <laughs> and shoot some deer well and here's the thing let's just say you you find yourself in that position or or that opportunity to do something similar to that on a property you hunt you own whatever it may be if you go to a landowner and say hey feel free at the right times come in keep the cows on this for a day graze it three times throughout the year if you're doing that you're probably depending on the size of that operation let's just say it's let's just say it is uh 30 cows you're putting out a bale or two a day, and you you tell that farmer go out there and graze it three four times during the during the the fall winter and spring time frame. You've probably then saved that guy eight bales or more and fifty bucks a pop. That's a considerable amount of money for something that he just said all he had to do was was give the okay for you to do it, and you know now the added advantage that it has from the wildlife standpoint too. I think that if if there's farmers out there and they're looking for the ability to, from their land, one, increase the amount of productiveness on it, one, but two, in income potential, think about how many, like I guess the differences between, um, let's just say northern Missouri rent ground for hunting leases versus southern Missouri hunt, hunting ground. You know, if a guy is out there saying, I really want to have some additional income, I'm going to lease it out for hunting. So instead of getting five bucks an acre or something like that, I'm going to plant some pastures, do some of this stuff you guys are talking about, and I'm going to charge 10 bucks because everything is food. Everything yeah. is food for wildlife. And now it's a extremely productive area. This is going to capitalize and go on and on and on. But, like, you can take let's say less desirable from from an aspect of of hunting in a lot of people's mind and make it that much better if you if you cover x amount of acres on a whole farm for sure think about ah, not even just pastures but crop ground how many how many crop fields do we see that where they cut and they sit vacant all fall and winter unfortunately when we went to northern missouri we saw a bunch the other day (laughs) yeah you could cover crop that and have grazing as well as uh, improved erosion control, improved water yep. quality, improved um, 
Less inputs, less fertilizer, herbicide, less uh, invasive weeds or problematic species because of the cover crop. There's all kinds of research that proves cover crops are beneficial from just the cattle far- or the crop farming side. Not only uh, for that, though, but we're looking at it from the grazing side where you could graze it a couple times. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when you're not grazing it, even when you are, depending on what kind of herd you're running, you've got the benefit to the wildlife. It's incredible. And, and, that right there is exactly what um, was here occurring and what made our soil so beneficial, uh, so nutrient-rich, is those rotations of large grazing animals moving Herbivores, across. Yeah. Well, the thing that so many people miss is if you're look, if you're – so fellas out there that are interested in soil health – if you're looking to improve and maximize your soil health, you're only going to take it to a very, you're going to take a few steps, but you're missing big picture if you're not trying to include grazing animals in that operation. You can try to replicate nature. You can try to do certain things. You'll get there, but, but until not the, the cattle get there, you're not going to see that that full big picture. Um, component where you're going to see the healthy soils that really were uh, on the native prairies following the large buff bison herds. Let's think about it. I mean, how many how many farmers in the position where you know you've got tough winters up north or just you know decently mild winters here? Um, but but during the winter time, think about the manure and the distribution of that manure across the pasture. It's extremely isolated into where the bale rings are being fed or the bale wagon is at. You have a high density of urine and feces right there in and around those rings for four, three, five months, wherever you're at yeah. across the whole farm. But if you just go in again and do this type of cover cropping and the right pastures, choose the right forages based on the forages you have present, if you do that, now you're continuing more of a 12-month distribution of all that fertilizer across your entire farm. Not yeah. just in these concentrated areas that get mucked up, they're getting nasty. If it's if it's soupy, if it rains, if it if it gets warmer during um, during the winter time, you know how many farms we saw last year with the amount of rain we had and and uh, some warm spells, like people were getting tractors stuck in pastures because it was just soupy, nasty mess. Oh, yeah. It's like you don't have to necessarily worry about that or worry about that to the same degree and know when you do warm up. That soil temperature is warming up, and the stuff you planted is probably growing if you chose the right stuff. That's an interesting point, too, because that brings up, you know, if, if you are in an operation. So I'm speaking to the guys who dad or grandpa or uncles running the cattle operation, and they're like, ah, I wish there was some stuff I could do to make it more wildlife friendly. Thinking about all those bale ring turn areas. It, turn it up and hit the or, share button. <laughs> or a lot of those uh, spots where they fed hay, uh-huh. and you see that disturbance on the soil, and you're like, oh, what, man? This, this, whatever, in February, March, or even this time of year, if they're already, hopefully they're not feeding hay yet. I hope not. Uh, go ahead and start broadcasting some of those perennial clovers in those areas. Yeah. Uh, it's a great spot to then, you have these hot spots of, of beneficial species, not only the cattle, but the wildlife as well. And, and let's then not to forget about the fact that these these forages that we're planting during the fall, the fall annuals, and we haven't even talked about summer annuals, but let's just do that for another podcast. But let's not forget that, that these are active root systems growing and mining different nutrients 
into these pastures. So your pastures, it's not, it's not only that you're increasing the production of the pasture from a forage standpoint throughout the entire year, but come springtime, what is that base of fescue and the clovers and everything else you've added to the food plot? It's in an incredibly productive state because it's been in those soils having nutrients mined the entire year and, you know, continuing to grow and uh, have an active root system right there, right next to the fescue That's in, right. in all of it or, or the smooth brome, whatever it may be. But we can't forget about the productiveness of the soil that this addition is helping the wildlife, helping grazing, helping the soil. It just doesn't, the benefits far, far, far outweigh the additional labor because truthfully if you graze those things right you're reducing labor from breaking your back throwing hay bales around moving hay bales during the summer whatever and then doing the same thing in the winter time to feed yeah so we've got planting times you know when it comes to planting a lot of these let's say cool season annuals you can plant cereal rye and and wheat up till even november in some places um, I've seen places where they planted cereal rye. If you're down south, you could be planting it even into December. Yeah. I think it's 35 degrees or something it's right like in that. that window, yeah. Um, and so you can plant all the way up until that point. Um, so anytime from you want to plant those, you want to plant those cereal grains a little later than you do your brassicas. So anytime from, and this is very, I mean, it's very broad. I'm trying to cover 48 states here. So I don't think we have many listeners in Hawaii and Alaska, but um, anywhere from August stations. to October, let's say, yep. even into November if you're down south. Um, and that could go from the cool season annuals of wheat, rye, turnips. Um, A lot of clovers, Cool too. season, or yeah, uh, your annual, seam, your annual clovers. And then that crimson. also includes your perennial, a lot of your perennial cool seasons, yep. your... Um, Red clover, white clovers, um, and then also your chicory. Yep. But then you can take that and turn around and plant again. Another planting window would be in that February, March, the frost seeding window where you're planting those little hard seeds like um, your clovers. Uh, And then you could, so, and when I say clovers there, I'm talking about your perennial clovers. Your annual clover is a little bit bigger than than your perennial clovers, but... um, Depending on... And depending on how hard pastures were grazed or the condition that they're in after a winter time, you could potentially do that. Because I've seen a lot of pastures that have a ton of bare ground on them during February and March. Oh, frame. for sure. For sure. You could sneak a lot of beneficial seed on your oh, grandpa's pasture yeah. then and go, where did that come from? Do it, do it at night. You know night. exactly where do it, it comes from. Do it at night. From. Don't say a word. And just, just sit back and... <laughs> And let it happen, yeah. and then and then listen to it say, oh, "I didn't know all this. Look at all this, all that, and that." You're like, "Yeah, I did that, Grandpa." Yeah. Um, another window would be March and April, and some of your spring oats, spring peas, certain yep. things like that um, that you could then plant to get some beneficial species in that uh, an, another stressful period of time. Um, so then let's fast forward, and you're looking at your summer annuals that you might be adding to some pastures um and we're talking about did we even mention this or we talk about this on another podcast we can talk talk about it so that would be the planting window for those summer annuals would be april 
uh, April and May. And some of them you could even some, get into June and July. It, they, Buckwheat, you could plant even in July and all, early August. Sorghum sedan, Milo. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of different things that you can do, add to those pastures in, in that window. So a lot of times, and, and here's one thing that I, here, here's, the, I guess, the balance of it all is, do you cut hay early or do you let it go on and, and get more mature and from a, from a nesting and from a fawn standpoint? Because there's a lot of farmers who will want to cut hay early, let's just say first part of May, late April, and they're doing that before a lot of nesting can occur. There's, there's definitely some for sure, um, but before a lot of fawns drop. And they're, they're actually harvesting the better quality hay because it's a lot more vegetative state. Um, so you could do that window and then come in right behind that and drill in some of these additional summer an- annuals, like you mentioned, or delay the hay cutting, let it get more mature, wait for the, the um, nesting to occur, the fawns to drop, be able to run out of the way, do that game, and then come back in with your buckwheat, your milo, sorghum sedan, sun hemp if you wanted to. You could do all sorts of things yeah. because that window at that point is when a lot of the cool seasons are really tailing off. Yeah. Later into June, um, certainly July, you're going to have a, a lot better success rate, um, less competition from a growing standpoint with the cool season that's present in that pasture versus these annuals. Yeah. For sure. And I, and I th- hopefully, hopefully some guys got their wheels turning and they're looking to find oh, ways yeah. because this is, there's this is, a lot of people that that are hunting ground hunting pieces of property that have cattle and they're trying to figure out they're looking at vast acres of hay hay pastures or grazing pastures oh, yeah. going man i wish there was something benefiting the wildlife there and here's one thing too don't expect it to look like every single food plot you've planted in the past. It's not. It's not going to be the exact same. You might not get the exact same growth because, yes, there's other forages in there that are still cool seasons. However, you can still make those acres much more beneficial than what they are if you don't for wildlife and livestock included. Absolutely. Well, hopefully everybody enjoyed it. Um, shoot us an email if you have any questions um, at info at landonlegacy.tv. And uh, we'd be glad to help you, give you some guidance, and uh, maybe walk through your operation and how we can help you improve it. No doubt. Um, Go check out our YouTube channel, Land and Legacy. A lot of videos dropping. Uh, Recent video is uh, the first deer harvest of the year for us. Uh, Shot a, a big doe out of a tethered saddle. It was the first tethered hunt for both of us, first saddle hunt for us, and uh it paid off big time. We did no exactly what we planned with the saddle. So go check that out and go check out the other podcasts as we describe what happened. So No doubt. And, uh, oh, new hats are online too. Yes. Whitetail hats are back in stock. Two color options now, the tricolor, blue, gold, uh, cream colored, and then the brown whitetail hat. So help support us once again five dollars of each purchase goes straight to qdma absolutely all right guys thanks again we'll see you guys next week yeah